Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us worship the Lord our God.
happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever. Let us pray. Eternal God, you are spirit who moved across the face of the waters at creation. You created us and called us good. Today we stand in the long line of your saints, from our first parents, Eve and Adam, down through all the generations of the beloved family to whom you have entrusted the earth. We come in adoration and gratitude to take our place with them, surrounded by the community of the faithful, those who have carried us when our own faith has been weak. Blessed be your name, you who are our salvation. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered in the sanctuary and those of us worshiping in other locations. However we gather, it is good to gather in the name of the Lord. Because we are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, that means that the word of welcome that we extend is one that is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in God's house, and in that way we greet one another. I'd be delighted to invite you to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp. There you will find some light refreshments and a cup of coffee, and most importantly, the opportunity for us to greet one another uh, by name and to spend time with one another. I will remind you that the city of Philadelphia is still under a mask mandate. Only your worship leaders will remove our masks, and only then when we are speaking, so that we may be clear for those with hearing loss. Otherwise, we do ask you to keep your mask on. And of course, during fellowship hour, you can slide it down, eat a cookie, and slide it right back up again. I think we've gotten pretty good at that by now. Let me highlight a few things from the announcements portion of our bulletin for our common life together. The first is to remind you of a service of choral evensong, which will take place here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock this afternoon. We would love to see you there. I'll note very quickly that Manna's Pie in the Sky fundraiser is ongoing. We do have a team, and there's information about that in the bulletin. Likewise, I'd like to highlight our series, A Century of Ethics in a Christian Context, which is hosted by the Reverend Cindy Jarvis and featuring uh, bright lights in ethics from out throughout the denomination. This week will be Dr. Katie Day, who has retired, I believe she's retired now, from Lutheran Seminary. Um, and that is at 5 o'clock on Wednesday. That's a Zoom session, so just sign up through the church office if you haven't already. The Officer Nominating Committee begins their work in the next few weeks to nominate the next classes of deacons and elders who will lead our congregation. And we covet your input. If you have suggestions for our Officer Nominating Committee, including even yourself, I hope you will uh, write those on the forums provided next to the box out here beside the columbarium and put those in there or through the church office during the week. Uh, 
Finally, we will be scheduling a new members class sometime soon, and if you are interested in joining the church, whether you've worshipped with us a long time or a short time, we would love to welcome you into our fellowship. And you may let me know of your interest simply by emailing me through the church website or calling the church office, and we'll make sure to get you on the list for that so that you can be received into membership when we get that scheduled. Uh, at this point in our service, I'd like to call on Becky Yep with a moment for stewardship. Good morning. So this past weekend, we celebrated Halloween, which in my neighborhood meant the joyful reappearance of young trick-or-treaters for the first time in two years thanks to the COVID pandemic. I noticed that amongst the children's costumes were many a Spider-Man, Paw Patrol pup, and Squid Game characters, but there are also the old standbys like ghosts and zombies. And while we commercialized the latter of these characters as scary phenomenon, it's no coincidence that they are most popular on October 31st. Seeing these kids dressed up this way reminded me that at its origins, Halloween is actually a holiday in which we are supposed to remember the dead. And today on All Saints Day, we continue that reflection in honoring all the saints of the church, known and unknown. I think All Saints Day is, particularly poignant, is a particularly poignant Sunday this year as we enter into the second year of the pandemic. Many of us have been affected by COVID in knowing people who have died from the illness. We find comfort in our church community as we grieve our losses and look back on surely one of the hardest years in our collective history. At the same time, we continue to look forward with gratitude and resilience, marveling at the strength of the human spirit. Despite, or perhaps because of, the pandemic, we uphold our promises to one another, find creative ways to overcome obstacles, as you can see for your uh, communion kits today, and evolve so that we can continue to operate and serve God. That is why I'd like to encourage our congregation to consider our upcoming annual giving and commitment Sunday. The resources from our members not only better the worship experience for one another, as, as demonstrated by our adaptive streaming technology, but are also poured generously back into the surrounding community, benefiting those who need it most. Through efforts like Sunday Rescue Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission, Urban Tree Connection, or MANA, as Pastor Barron just mentioned. With the collection taken from the church members, we continue to honor those who have passed, known and unknown, by bettering the lives of those who remain. Thank you for your time. As we offer our praise as a community, so we confess our sins and our failings as a community, not only as individuals, but as a family, accountable to each other and accountable to our God. So let us speak of our brokenness to God, first aloud and then in the silence of our hearts. 
Let us pray together. Eternal God, remind us of our baptism as we prepare to come to your table. Remind us of your unmerited, unconditional love for sinners as we listen to your word that we might acknowledge our sin. Take comfort in your forgiveness freely given and turn ourselves to the way you would have us go. We ask these things because we know that we have sinned and we need forgiveness. Guide our hearts and our minds in this moment and in each passing moment that we might be more and more the disciples you have called and that we might offer the grace we have received to others. These and all our prayers we offer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. the coming of Christ, God has given us the gift of forgiveness, even 70 times 70. God reaches out to offer us new life, a new day, a new beginning, loved and beautiful, even as on the first day of creation. Believe the promise of the gospel.
The first reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. Listen for God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Here ends the first lesson. Our second lesson is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, the concluding verses of the 10th chapter and the opening verses of the 11th. Continue to listen for the word of God. But recall those earlier days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possessed something better and more lasting. Do not, therefore, abandon that confidence of yours. It brings a great reward. For you need endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. But we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but are among those who have faith and so are saved. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen 
was made from things that are not visible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I have never forgotten a scene from the film Places in the Heart. The movie is set in the segregated South, and it begins with a tragic altercation. A white police officer is killed by a torrent of bullets unleashed by a young black man who is drunk. The young man bore the officer no malice and is crushed when he sees what he has done. In turn, vigilantes kill the black man in revenge. However, this is not a film about violence and revenge but rather a film about the triumph of the human spirit. As the plot progresses, a lone officer visits the police officer's widow, advising her that she must sell her farm. But she has lost so much already that she decides instead to risk foreclosure on her home by taking in laborers to assist her with the planting and the harvesting of a cotton crop. Fortune smiles on her, when a drifter comes to her back porch asking for food. And it turns out that he has all of the skills that she lacks. So she invites him to move into her barn, promising him a portion of the profits if, she, if they are successful, and then they proceed to beat the odds stacked against her. But he is black, and it is the segregated South. And so as the story unfolds, we encounter crooked businessmen, corrupt law enforcement, clan violence, and finally attempted murder. It's a pyrrhic victory when she succeeds because the person who has helped her must flee for his life. The scene I remember, though, is near the end of the movie, and it is a church service. The church is a simple, clabbered building with the windows open to the breeze. Women are wearing cotton dresses and hats, and men are in shirt sleeves. It is a communion service. The pastor prays over the elements, 
and then members come and take ten plates with cut-up wonder bread on it, or so it seems, to give to the congregation. At first, all we see are the people we expect to see, the woman, her two children, a few of the neighbors. But then the camera pans out, and we see the crooked bank president, the lynch mob, and the man who has fled for his life. As the plate of bread comes to the woman and her children, she takes the bread and passes the plate, and there beside her as she passes it is standing her husband, who takes the bread and passes the plate to the man who is on his side, who is the young man who shot him and who was killed by the lynch mob. It is an image of the communion of the saints. We make a faith claim every Sunday when we declare that we believe in the communion of the saints, and likewise when we pray that our voices are joined with the choirs of angels and archangels and all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of hosts. We say that we are in communion with and in continuity with all the saints, both across the ages and across the globe. You may have noticed that I always conclude our communion services with the same benediction. Now, the benediction is the one thing I don't plan in advance for any service. I like for there to be some element of spontaneity, but yet for the benediction, I use the same one. And it is one that I came up with off the cuff many years ago. I really hadn't considered all of the layers of meaning to the words, which are go as God's beloved who have been to the Lord's table, and go as God's beloved who know that you will return to the Lord's table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. Well, one Sunday after I said these words, a woman who was a member of the congregation came up to me. She was the grandmother of a young man who had recently died. And she said to me, the comfort I needed today was to know that my grandson and I will be reunited at the table of Jesus Christ. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The letter to the Hebrews is essentially a long sermon, and the preacher culminates one portion of admonitions with these words before turning to the activity of giving examples. Now, to be clear, the gospel claim does not make exhaustive descriptions of the nature of faith. It captures only a shadow, only a whiff of the heavenly banquet that we are promised. But isn't that all we ever really perceive? A shadow, a whisper of the reality that God gives us in the communion of the saints, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Tom Long writes, The preacher knows the difference between what is real and what can be seen. What is real is that Christ is Lord. The heir of all things through whom the world was created now reigns in majesty. But this central reality is hidden from view. As the preacher said earlier in the sermon, we do not yet see the glory of Christ as Lord. 
What the naked eye can see, of course, is a world of suffering and setback, violence and hardship. Given the harsh realities of the world, faith is the ability to see with the inner eye, to see what cannot be seen with the natural eye. In St. Exupery's classic story, The Little Prince, a mysterious fox promises to tell a little boy the greatest of life's secrets. When at long last the secret is told, it is this. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The very next words we read are recounting of the faith stories of the saints who have preceded the preacher, beginning with Abraham and working forward, a veritable who's who of the Bible, a listing of people whose actions were imputed to them as righteousness by God who loved them and called them into being as God's people. Now, I've often told you that the Bible is rather vague on the decor of the afterlife. What I mean by this is that the promises are very real, but the details are quite few. We know that we belong to God and we return to God. We know that we will be made whole. But the wherefores are scant. So years ago, a woman approached me about a fear that her father had precisely because the wherefores are scant. Her mother had died a few months before, and her father was concerned that his wife, whom he mourned daily, would be caught in one of two alternate possibilities in death. That either she was watching everything and forced to worry over the grieving of her husband, or that she was so consumed by the pleasures of heaven that she had already forgotten her family. Either possibility seemed to him too great to bear. So the woman came to me and asked if I knew of any scripture that she could share with her father to ease his fears. And all that came to me to say in that moment was this. You tell him that I don't know the answer for sure, but that would be less than I would expect from God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. These are words not of certainty, but filled with possibility, filled with hope, filled with the truth that God is greater that our hearts can imagine, that those who trust in the Lord will not be disappointed, that the farthest limits of our imagination will not exceed the living God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. God will not be less than we imagine. God will be more than our human imagination can fathom. God will certainly be different from many things we have imagined, but it is impossible for the human mind to conceive of a notion of God that God will not exceed. So understanding, then, as we do, that God will not be less than we could ask 
or imagine. Should we believe, then, that when we come to this table, that it is possible, indeed that it is hoped for, that unseen guests should number with the unseen host? I wonder something sometimes about communion. I wonder if the table doesn't become fuller and fuller the longer we live. I remember taking communion as a child. I had no idea yet of what all it meant. I'm still not sure that I know everything that it means. But my father or mother would break a small fragment of bread that they had taken off of the silver tray. This was before children were given communion in the Presbyterian church. They would break a small piece off and they would share it with me. Maybe you have similar memories. It was an intimate communion just between my parents and me. And then later I began to notice there were more people at the table. I began to get wind that there was a larger world and there were more people at this feast than my parents and me or even my church and me as the world grew larger. I'll never forget the rhythm of the words the first time I served the bread at communion, reciting over and over again the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. We repeat these words so that they become part of us, so that they are always there, a comfort to us in the moments we need them. When I was in seminary, a friend of ours died a few weeks before we were to graduate, and we celebrated his life in worship with communion, trusting in the promise of the gospel that in the great Eucharistic feast of the Lord, we are bound together, even in eternity. The first time I was the celebrant at the Lord's table, after my ordination, was the night that my grandmother died. I walked in following the evening service to find a call from my younger brother telling me that she had died just a few minutes before after a long, long battle with cancer. And though I was far from home in those moments, the promise of the gospel was that the love of Christ bridges even the greatest distance, even that ultimate distance between life and death. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it seems to me, the longer we live, the more we come to this table, the more saints are gathered at the feast. And I can't really explain it to you other than perhaps to quote Calvin and call it the church invisible, and to know that somehow God will never be less than we expect. And somehow, every time we come to this table, in the tender mercy of God, we are united across time and space in the eternity of God with those whom we have loved who come, as we do, to meet our Lord, who calls all of us, even now, to come.
to the joyful feast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
we confess our faith, we never do it alone. We do it surrounded by the community of faith. Those who worship here in this sanctuary, those who worship with us online, those around the world, and those through all the ages, in every land and in every language. So let us, in community, confess what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our offering begins with our own gifts, and as we give them, they become the church's gift. And then the church gives them to the world. So give cheerfully and generously for the world.
Let us pray. Eternal God, from the abundance with which you have blessed us, we worship you with our offerings, both made in this hour and made beyond this hour. Receive them, bless them, and use them. And in so doing, might we see your kingdom at work among us. Through Christ our Lord, we pray all of these things. Amen. Beloved, this is the joyful feast of the Lord. And Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Savior, who is even now the unseen host. Indeed, in the pages of Scripture, we read that the disciples first recognized the Lord as he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. Even now, it is to this table that we are invited to come and to know our Lord. This is not the church's table. It doesn't belong to First Presbyterian. It belongs to none but our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls all, who calls you. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe. We praise you for saints and martyrs, for the faithful in every age who have followed your Son and witnessed to his resurrection. From every race and tongue, from every people and nation, you have gathered them into your kingdom. You have shown them the path of life and filled them with the joy of your presence. How glorious is your heavenly realm, where the multitude of your saints rejoice with Christ. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, with prophets, apostles, and martyrs, and with all the faithful of every time and place, who forever sing to the glory of your name. God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Sent to be our Savior, he took our flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. His words are true. His touch brings healing. To all who follow him, he gives abundant life. When evil sought to destroy him and he lay in the darkness of death, you raised him from the grave. 
He is our risen Lord forever. Remembering all of your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gift you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. As we gather at the table in the communion of the saints, we remember today our native ancestors, the indigenous peoples who lived on and loved this land centuries before us. We remember those who came to our shores in chains and those who live still in the chains forged by prejudice. We remember those who wait at our borders, seeking to be neighbor. And we pray especially today for this creation, for its waters, its mountains, its trees, its animals and all creatures, and for those children and men and women who meet this day in Glasgow to talk about and make commitments to ways to honor and save and love this earth that you created. Number us among your saints, O God, and join us with the faithful of every age that strengthened by their witness and supported by their fellowship, we may run with perseverance the race that is set before us and may with them receive the unfading crown of glory when we stand before your throne in grace. Give us strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection, when with the redeemed of all the ages, we will feast with you at your table in glory. Hear us, O Lord, as we give thanks for the lives of those we love who have moved into the more immediate presence of Jesus Christ this year. For Lois Burnell Atkins, Richard Baxter, Sarah Rogers Bright, Joseph Holly Cleveland, 
Evan Klingman, William Cornwell, Lillian Cowart, Doris Curry, John L. Curto, Robert Doniger, Joseph Lawrence Goodyear, Sandy Gunner, Eileen Hall, Paul Hart, Buck Henson, Frankie Henson, Franklin Isaacson, Richard Kennerly, Lita Lanaria, Michael Marcus, Anita Huff Martin, Helen Lois Orner, Andrew Pitts, Sharon Ritchie, Aaron Johnson Rustigan, Harry Randy, Jeremy Lamb Thompson Watson, Peter Anthony Watson Sr., Thomas Weiskerger, Beverly Williams, Anna Williams, Eddie Williams, Sarah Martin, Molly Lowry. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, now and forever. And now we join in the prayer that our Lord has taught us, saying, Our, our Father, Father, who art, who art in, in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this, remembering me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Dear friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Let us pray together once more. Eternal God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of sin to bring us once more into your embrace. And now, having thus fed us at Christ's table, send us to be his body in the world, to give his grace, to show his love, to live as your followers. Through Christ our Lord, we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Now go as God's beloved who have been fed at the table of Jesus Christ and go as God's beloved who know that you will return to the table of Jesus Christ in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.